0: Amen. Turn with me to the book of Matthew, the second chapter. If you do not have a Bible, uh, we will pass a Bible out to you. Raise your hand and uh, Bob will bring a Bible to you. Matthew 2. We begin our time in the Word of God, Let us, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we so come before the God of the impossible, the one who showed us that all things are possible, for there was a time that a little one came not by uh, the normal way, came through the passageway into this world Uh, shrouded, over over overshrouded by the Holy Spirit and brought into this world, showing not only that he is the overcomer of all things, uh, but that he is God of all, King of kings. Every prophetic word spoken about him came true in Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through him. Fathers, we come today. May we truly be like the wise men who seek Seek the king. May we turn from anything that might just have a a feeling of religion to it and turn to the one who is calling us into relationship, the one who is calling us uh, to be one with him so that we can be one with each other, the one who proclaimed from the beginning, even from Genesis on, that his heel would be bruised. And that the myrrh represented that he would suffer and die on our behalf. Father, may we hear your voice today in these words. For Jesus' sake, amen. Matthew 2, 1 through 12 says these words. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who is has king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, Search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. As I would said earlier, it's understood that the wise men came when Jesus was probably one to two years old. And we know that because when Herod came against uh, the prophetic word, he... Uh, Instructed his soldiers to find every child that was two years and younger and to destroy them. Prophesied in the Old Testament that Rachel would weep and refuse to be comforted. One wonders if Mary and Joseph treated little baby Jesus any different than Stephen and Hannah are treating Selah. In Luke, in the second chapter, the 21st through the 24th verse, tells us that Mary and Joseph had little baby Jesus circumcised on the eighth day and then went to the temple in Jerusalem after 40 days of purification for Mary. They brought the prescribed sacrifice for a sin offering in the form of a pair of doves or two pigeons as prescribed in the Old Testament which indicates that Joseph and Mary were too poor to bring the normal offering of a lamb without blemish. But it also indicates that Mary herself saw herself as a sinner in need of a Savior and not in the category that some have put her in, being perfect within herself. But all indications, according to the Jewish mind, Mary and Joseph were bringing uh, their newborn baby up in the same way. Stephen and Hannah will also go through kind of the traditions of their culture, raising their child, doing the normal things, uh, all the while knowing that God has called them uh, to a greater purpose with Selah. We share with Job an eternal value of life. You see, we raise our children to live. We raise them to live. Everything about us believes that they will live. In fact, uh, Job said in uh, the 33rd chapter, the 4th verse, the Spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gave me life. We believe in life. We believe that a child was born to live. If nothing else that you take away from the ceremony today, Take this away, that Stephen and Hannah are parents who want to proclaim to the world a covenantal God who wants them to be one with each other and Him because He desires holy offspring. This sign and seal, as we've said, does not guarantee salvation for Selah. Just like God's promises over Israel did not guarantee salvation for all Israelites because, as Paul said, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's descendants. But it is there Hannah and Stephen stand to say we as parents will do everything we can even at the sacrifice of our own lives to raise Salah in the holy atmosphere of Jesus Christ. This is where the twist of the wise men come into our view. For up to this point, with little baby Jesus, everything has been status quo besides maybe a few shepherds and a few others. But enter in these world travelers. Enter in these ones who have studied not only the scriptural readings from their area, the Babylonian scriptures, but also they have determined from creation that something unique is happening. And they have followed what wisdom they have been given by God to find the one that they have determined to be king. There are two important truths from their acts of worship, which many people have said is really their fourth gift, their act of worship. But there are two things that come from these acts of worship. First, the gifts indicating the roles of this young toddler. They gave gold gold, as a role of a king. They gave frankincense as a role of a priest, and they gave myrrh as a role of a prophet. You see, Jesus Christ's life was proclaiming prophecy of words that had been spoken thousands of years before his coming, not just a clear indication of birthplace, birthline, but also a clear indication of purpose for the life of this prophet, priest, and king. The second thing that we gain is the, prof- the prophetic word that comes through a natural substance. Myrrh is an aromatic, reddish resin that comes from the low-growing thorny trees of the genuous um, Commiphora tree, found native to the uh, Arabian Peninsula. The use of myrrh goes back thousands of years in beauty aids and in um, antiseptic and embalming fluids. Herodias, the Greek writer, tells us that Egyptians used it for the preparation of human mummies. So if myrrh is used for this, for dead bodies, then why give it to a baby, an infant? It is also known that the ancient rabbis associated myrrh with a sacrificial death, especially with Abraham sacrificing his son Isaac on Mount Moriah. The Hebrew word for myrrh is M-O-R, more, and that is the root word of the place where Abraham almost sacrificed Isaac on Mount Moriah or the mountain of Myrrh. So in Hebrew mind, the connection will be made with death and especially the idea of a father sacrificing his son. The incredible connection with this uh, prophetic substance is not only of the gift at birth but also the fact that the child himself being sacrificed by his father on a Roman t- torture instrument on the ridge of Mount Moriah. Brings it all together. And Isaiah 53 proclaimed it when he says, He was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought peace on us was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. You see, the way that the fragrance is released from myrrh is when it's crushed is when it's crushed. It's interesting that the substance not only showed up at his birth, but also at his death. Because it says in John 19, 39, Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloe, about 100 pounds. The prophetic word of of the ancient writer, the gift given to him by the wise men, and the embodiment of even The name of Jesus that says he comes to save his people from their sins points us to the reality that this is the only child that was born to die. Oswald Chambers says the death of Jesus Christ is the fulfillment in history of the very mind and intent of God. There is no place for seeing Jesus Christ as a martyr. His death was not something that happened to him, something that might have been prevented. His death was the very reason he came. The very reason he was born of a virgin and came through the fallopian human canal. He was and is the only child born to die. Revelation 13.8 says, The lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. Skip Heisen says, The gift of myrrh was was one of the first hints of this in Jesus' life this child who was born to die. We hear in our world um, a lot of focus on the love of the Father and the love that God showed us by sending his Son. And it is true. It is very true. But I think that sometimes we forget and don't think about the great tragedy that happened. The tragedy of an eternal God who gave His Son, and it was His will to crush His Son on our behalf. That tragedy should grip our heart today. That tragedy, the fact that we and of ourselves can do nothing for our salvation, and the Father so loved that He brought tragedy to earth and crushed his own son on our behalf. To miss that point is to turn the thing of faith into some structure of religion that we feel good about following a God. To to receive that tragedy and to know that it was for you, that he knew your name specifically, in the midst of that, that it was the father's intent to crush his son because of you and your sin that would send you to eternal separation from him for all eternally, obviously. No, it is the most amazing thing we'll know, and it is a thing that brings every human being to their knee. Do not reduce what happened in the life of Christ, to some emotion, but see it for what it is. The greatest tragedy in all humanity for you. A baby was born to die. Some of us in, in the sound of my voice know what it's like to have a child die young. You understand because your whole heart, your whole heart cries out, this child was meant to live and it has died. There's no greater, uh, no greater sorrow for a parent than when a child precedes them in death. And yet Jesus Christ was born specifically for one reason, to die, to die in your behalf. And he obeyed his father completely. Let that word wake up the sleeping heart because our salvation is closer now than what it was before. Jesus is coming soon. And we have fallen asleep. And we need to wake up. This needs to be the greatest thought on your mind. I think it was A.W. Tozer that says the greatest thought a human can have is the thought of a God who crushed his son for them. And it is a thought that moves a life out of the complacency and the compromise of life and moves it into a passion to, in response to every ounce of our being, to worship this one. If we unpack the tragedy, what what do we see? What is the process that begins our hearts to be drawn to him? In the book of Romans, Paul said it this way. I once was alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very command that was intended to bring life actually brought death for sin seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment deceived me and through the commandment put me to death you see the the tragedy can i say it this way the tragedy in the midst of grace first opens our eyes to the real you and your inability to do anything of spiritual goodness in your life apart from God in you. It opens your eyes to see you for who you really are and to understand your great need. That is the first move. The second is to understand that true life only comes from Jesus. It is not found anywhere else. 1 John 5.12 says this, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. We must realize that that the process is not only that we see ourselves for who we are and God for who he really is, but also that we understand that our natural life is a life that pursues the things that we see instead of the things that are seeing us. To pursue the things that are of this earth instead of pursuing the eternal God that gave us the breath in our mouth for the very reason of seeing him and finding him. Third, surrender completely to the one who gives your life. James tells us, submit yourselves then to the Lord, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Proverbs uh, 26 says, my son, give me your heart and let your eyes delight in my way. That's what he wants. It's not about how you act. It's not about what you do on the exterior and that you feel very religious when you seem to be doing things right, but then very terrible when when you're doing sinful things. It's the fact that he wants your heart. He wants your heart, just like he wanted the Israelites' hearts in Ezekiel. He said, I will sprinkle your heart. But they had to turn to him. And they had to say yes in response. Yes, you're the only one that can clean our hearts. You're the only one that can put your spirit within me so that I can live for you. And so submit completely to the one who gives life. And then fourthly, let your life be a partnership with the will of God. Philippians 2, 12-13 says, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. He says to us that he is the one who has created us for good purposes, and he knew about them before the earth was, was, was created for your life. That means in Jesus Christ, you can't fail. No, 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 no. You didn't hear that. That means in Jesus Christ you can't fail because he's the one who created the good purposes for you. And he's calling you to walk into them. But you have, to, you have to first see yourself for who you are. You have to first understand that there's only life in Jesus Christ. You have to understand and surrender to that life in response. And then you need to partner I've begun a process in my life in which I wake up in the morning and I say, Lord, this is your day. You have every right to do what you want with my life. It's amazing how many times I forget that. Because in my old self, I still want to do what I want to do. Anybody with me? Oh yeah, I still want to. I still, you know, us Americans just believe that, you know, we can we can, you know, okay, Jesus, I believe in you. That's great. Praise the Lord. Now I get to go do what I want to do. No. No. That's disobedience. Your life is his. Created in him. Paul says that I I will labor So that Christ may be formed in you. One of our biggest problems is is taking our eyes off ourselves and putting our eyes on Jesus Christ, knowing He's the one that we're to be formed in the image of. And our life is all about every day being formed into the image of Jesus Christ. And it comes out in our relationships with each other. It comes out in our relationships with people at work. It comes out in all our relationships. You see who you are in Jesus Christ by how you live out among those God has put you in. May they see Jesus, because no matter what this world brings, we know that he was the son, the only child that was born to die. And so today, we celebrate the life of Selah. We celebrate the fact that she has two parents, not perfectly, but well, desire to raise her in the Lord. Amen? Amen. Time for some interaction. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes. Now, we have to realize that Selah is going to pound her head against the floor looking for her own way. Every single one of us are born in that situation. Because I'm standing up in front of you guys does not put me in a different position than you. I was born into sin. And I, I feel that draw every day of my life but I was born again in Jesus Christ. And I feel that draw every day of my life to follow him with everything that I am, to just be who he made me to be. Not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of my mind. And I pray that each one of you know that in your heart. That each one of you are drawn, even at this moment, for the Spirit of God to draw you and your heart to desire to follow him. And I pray that today, the tragedy of a child that was born to die will not leave your heart. But that you'll walk out of here realizing that he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father Except through him. Amen. Stand with me as we pray. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we come as a family before you, we uh, lay ourselves down before your word. Your word has got to have authority over our hearts and over our lives so that, Father, um, no matter what the world brings our way, you will be the one that continues to speak to our hearts. And as we walk through life, we'll hear your voice behind us saying, this is the way. Walk in it. Father, we need you desperately. In a world that uh, even the church itself has faded away, From the Gospel Center, I pray that, Father, in this late hour, that you will wake up your family. And that, Father, our lives, understanding the great tragedy, eternal tragedy that's in front of us, will be drawn, um, uncaring of our past, uncaring of what's around us, that we will follow you no matter what the cost. I pray that, Father, that you will bless someone in this room today that may have never known you personally, And that, Lord, their hearts are drawn to the eternal tragedy of a father who willed his son to be born to die. And that, Father, that their lives will be riveted by that. And that, Father, that we as a family, whether visiting or whether here in this family, that, Father, will be moved to realize that what we need to do is to tell others about Jesus because he's coming soon. And Father, we desperately need you. Thank you for wise men that still seek you. Father, may we be seen as wise men and women seeking the true God. We love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.